This is John Henry Weston for LifeSite News. We wanted to bring you some kind of explanation of what we found so far going around in Israel. The war in Israel is devastating, as I'm sure many of you have seen, but we wanted to give you some perspective on this from what we've seen. We're going to give you an update on what's going on, at least to the best that we have right now. We're also going to give you some historical perspective of what's been going on there, how this plays out geopolitically in the area, but also want to give you the perspective of prophecy. And uh, for that, we have with us a guest who is a great friend, someone who has written extensively, and someone who has a great faith. His faith shines through more than anything else, although his research is impeccable and his book called Revelations um, has been, you know, very well received by many. It is a great, great resource to understand heaven's warnings and heaven's direction for us here on earth from all of the Marian prophecies. Xavier Eral, welcome to the program. <laughs> Bonjour, John Henry. How are you? Very well, my friend. So let's begin with a short prayer, a prayer for peace, a uh, prayer for peace in Israel and over all the world where we are now engulfed in wars, not only in Israel and Ukraine, but uh, it looks like also uh, starting all over the world. So let's pray. Amen. Eternal Father, in the most holy name of Jesus, by the infinite merits of his most precious blood, we beg thee, send us thy Holy Ghost with his graces and healing powers upon Israel, upon all of the Palestinian lands there, and upon all of the peoples who are called by your name who also suffer in this great conflict. We ask this by the powerful intercession of Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, to whom we consecrate ourselves and the whole world, our Lady Queen of Peace, pray for us. In nomine Satris, et Fidi, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. So um, let's start off. I think when we all first heard about this, it was almost with an announcement of war. Um, Israel said that they were under attack in war. It all started on October the 7th. And one of the first things I saw was this rabbi. Um, and it really hit home with the gravity of the situation, as he explained right off the bat, um, that basically all the reservists were being called up. Let's take a look. That unit was called up this morning. My son, who's uh, currently serving in a combat unit, was called up this afternoon. And then my older son, who's a combat reservist, was just called up now. They're all heading in to the line of duty. Many have been killed. The fighting is ongoing. And I'm calling on all friends of Israel, our Jewish and Christian friends alike, to rise up right now in prayer. The forces of evil are attacking us. This is a moment of truth. Hello, everyone. This is Rabbi. And so that was one of the first things I saw that really struck home the gravity of what was going on. It was war. And, um, you know, initially we saw this barrage of rockets that went out, a massive number of rockets. Maybe, Xavier, I know you've been following closely the French television reports, which are actually more than what we get in America and Canada. If you could describe for us maybe what you saw in the beginning and what you've seen now. 
Well, um, the situation, the way it is described in France and also on the BBC, in Italian and Spanish news, uh, gives, I would say, somewhat more details in the sense that different views are being uh, presented and different reasons for this uh, extraordinarily successful surprise attack from an organization, a terrorist organization such as Hamas, that is well known to be funded by Iran. And um, uh, therefore, in, uh, in France, the numbers are the same uh, as far as casualties are concerned. Um, what is incomprehensible as far as France, the French media, the French military headquarters and French military intelligence is concerned, is how could the uh, Israeli uh, intelligence services and defense ministry mm, has been, could have possibly have been taken so successfully by surprise. Um, let, me, I spoke... let me stop you there, because that's a very interesting point. And there is an Israeli journalist by the name of Erfat Fenningzon. She's actually a former intelligence officer uh, with the Israeli Defense Force. She, not, she came out super early in all of this, um, both um, obviously with grave concern for Israel, but expressing her total, absolute disbelief at the very fact that there's no way the Mossad, the, the intelligence service of uh, Israel, wouldn't have known. Let's have a look. We talk about 30 or 40 people, but we know there are more. Um, in some places, the terrorists were burning the village and people didn't know if to leave the shelter and surrender or stay and pray for the fire to not reach them. Many young people who were in a big outdoor party near the Gaza Envelope villages were attacked there. Some ran away, some were injured, and some are still missing. Apparently, Israeli defense forces that were supposed to be around Gaza were placed around the West Bank because of security concerns so that the, the Gaza envelope was left unoccupied with military. They say around 60 to 80 percent of that area was left without the IDF forces that were supposed to be there. Soldiers are being recruited for reserves as we speak from uh, this morning, but because of stupid reasons such as no public transport, they're waiting hours to get to the bases. Mainstream media, this is an interesting point, apparently uh, admits that IDF spokesperson is forbidding them to tell the complete truth about what's happening, highlighting a lack of transparency. And this is to the Israeli citizens. I'm not even talking about overseas. I'm talking about to the people of Israel here. For hours and hours, the reports that came from the mainstream media were completely lacking and people started to rely mostly on the news from each other, from people on the ground. Only now, 6 p.m. Israel time, or it's actually 7 already, uh, 12 hours after the event started, we received the first formal statement from the IDF spokesperson, and I will include an article with that statement in the notes. A year ago, there was a military operation in Gaza to prepare for such events, and ongoingly, there are trainings for these kind of scenarios. This raises serious questions for me, anyway, about Israeli intelligence. What happened? Two years ago, there, were, um, there was a successful deployment of underground barriers with sensors to alert exactly on these kind of terrorist breaches. Israel is one of the most advanced and high-tech armies. How come there was zero response to the border and fence breaching? I cannot understand that. Personally, I served in the IDF 25 years ago in the intelligence forces. There's no way, in my view, that Israel did not know of what's coming. A cat moving alongside the fence is triggering all forces. So this? What happened to the strongest army in the world? How come border crossings were wide open? Something is very wrong here. Something is very strange. This chain of events is very unusual and not typical for the Israeli defense system. With the recent normalization efforts of Israel and Palestine led by Saudi Arabia, I wonder whether a prisoner's exchange deal is something that could only be seriously considered by Israel if a shocking event like that happened. Is it a possibility that only with Israel hostages it can be justified to release dangerous prisoners from Israeli prisons? I don't know. Mainstream media reported that Deputy Hamas leader Salah al-Aruwi suggests using Israeli prisoners for leverage in negotiations, so maybe. A point about the situation in Israel in the past few years, which I want to make, is related to, and those who follow me know, that there's a general sense of insecurity in Israel, there's political and social instability and unrest, public funds are being misused on agendas such as COVID, climate, judicial reform, abolishing cash, and many more. The current government is highly corrupt in my view, while the previous one was no better. I don't care about having a popular opinion. I care about exposing evil forces wherever and whomever they are. So to me, this surprise attack seems like a planned operation on all fronts. This is a failure to protect the people of Israel, for sure. Perhaps the biggest failure since the Yom Kippur War exactly 50 years ago, if not bigger. By the way, is it a coincidence it's exactly 50 years ago, almost on the day? The Yom Kippur War was on October 6, 1973. 
if I was a conspiracy theorist, I would say that this feels like the work of the deep state. It feels like the people of Israel and the people of Palestine have been sold once again to the higher powers that be. At the same time, this is still very, very difficult to fathom. Have a good evening. I thought that was that was rather fascinating because that lays out so many things. But if you could continue and pick up from there, what are people making of this? It's impossible. She said like a cat going across the fence would have would have alerted them. Yet this seems it's it's obvious that there's something going on here that's much uh, beyond what we're seeing in that. Oh, it's a surprise attack. And uh, just, you know, they just missed it. And they were able to, <laughs> this little band was able to come in and take over some posts. And that's just the way it was. Quite so. And that is one of the principal uh, theories that is being discussed in uh, the European medias. It's, it's not just the attack itself, which is uh, um, defies all logic. How could the Mossad have missed that? It's as well the enormous, massive military arsenal that Hamas has been able to put their, its hands on. It's an operation that must have been planned for months, for months. And to have managed to get to open fire with a, a force of over almost 4,000 rockets in one night without the Israeli authorities being able to have caught the importation of such a massive volume of weapons also inspires suspicion. Now, uh, as I said, there are some cases, for example, that uh, possibly could have been left for unexpected or surprise uh, to the Mossad and to military intelligence, such as, for example, the border uh, patrol post that uh, acts as a bridge letting in and out all the civilian parties from the Gaza Strip to Israel, for indeed a large part of the population there crosses every day that particular post to go to work in uh, Israeli-occupied territories. But it's said that particular post have been literally untakeable. It's unassaultable. And yet it was taken in a span of less than half an hour by an operation that took simply took by surprise and cost a great many lives to the Israeli forces. It appears in an objectivity and without taking any uh, passion, passionate stand that this entire incident was a mixture of both the sincere and true surprise of the extent and efficiency of such a well-planned attack. And at the same time, possibly, it was uh, there was something which probably might have informed uh, Mossad that this was going to take place, but not certainly not to this uh, uh, level of efficiency and with such high volume of uh, efficient and uh, accurate weapons. So we we are expecting something else. We've seen a barrage already of return fire, um, and you've seen devastation in the Gaza Strip uh, from that already. You have, um, you know, as they were saying before, I think 830 so far is the death toll as of yesterday. That's probably much higher right now. Um, and that's just from the um, Palestinian citizens. Um, and so the situation is already very tense, but Prime Minister Netanyahu got on television yesterday to say, basically, you ain't seen nothing yet. Watch this.
and it, it really did strike fear into, you know, those who are trying to still hope for peace. I think um, you have a lot of machinations here that this could blow up. Um, one of the things uh, that, you know, retaliation breeds is, in fact, Xavier, if you can tell us that, that's a, a very interesting thing you told me before the show started with regard to what this might spark and what a major, major offensive that goes, you know, way beyond um, something that I think from the uh, point of view of Benjamin Netanyahu and his supporters is we want to make a force that will crush any kind of idea ever again to do anything even remotely close to uh, what this was or anything at all. Uh, we want to beat them into submission, into subjugation, whatever. Um, there are calls for um, basically wiping out uh, the Palestinians altogether um, from a lot of people in, in, in the West as well. Now, that works the other way too. There's a lot of calls for uh, from Islam to wipe out all Jews and all Christians, by the way. Um, and that's been going on for a long time. So the, in most wars, People like to see a good guys and a bad guys. But unfortunately, it's not that clear. Xavier, if you could explain what you think here. Well, look, um, uh, I had uh, so many conversations with uh, some of my family's friends in France, one among which is um, a retired French colonel in the French army. That being said, this is the uh, conclusion that are being taken by some of this particular group of people. When Hamas started this operation, it was planned by, an, by a mastermind that could not possibly have come from anything else but a superior headquarters um, gathering of military executives. So this does not come, certainly not from the little tiny uh, Gaza Strip, nor from Hasbollah, which is uh, their brother, brother counterpart of Lebanon. Both entities, Hamas and Hasbollah, are both financed, are the strong arms, you could say, in this region, financed by Iran. Now, uh, what was the purpose? For any military operation, there must be some kind of objective. The objective could not have just been for Hamas to hurt Israel and come back to uh, the Gaza Strip without expecting a retaliation. That's completely unrealistic. So what, what is it? The, it appears, according to people who have considerably more experience in the military field than I do, that this was a trap. First of all, you have to understand the mentality of the Muslims, of Hamas. No, these people, for them, it is an honor to die for their faith. Allah Akbar is the, cry, the war cry. God is great. For them to die, a martyr, is the greatest of rewards for paradise is being offered to them. So the objective was simple. Strike Israel and humiliate them as hard as they possibly could so that they would retaliate in turn. And first of all, torpedo, the diplomatic um, rapprochement, first of all, between Saudi Arabia and Israel which was starting very well. Now, keep in mind that Saudi Arabia and Iran has completely or supposedly uh, reconciled thanks to the intervention, incredibly enough, of China. So it does not play into Iran's um, play game for Saudi Arabia also to uh, establish proper and civil diplomatic relationship with the enemy, Israel. So it appears that there is a trap set for Israel to step into, and the trap appears to be clear harsh, uh, vengeful retaliation, which will lead possibly, uh, they hope, to uh, criminal war, acts of war. No? 
At the same time, uh, for Israel, this was, is a double, an um, a double tranchant. Uh, there is, in fact, two different possibilities, advantages and disadvantages. For Israel, this attack, if they knew about it, I am absolutely certain that they did, didn't know the extent of it or the level of efficiency it would take. So it's a humiliation of sorts. However, it would be also a tremendous, on the advantage side, a tremendous advantage for Israel to use this and Hezbollah's participation in northern uh, Israel or southern Lebanon to have a pretext of sorts to strike at the mastermind, which unquestionably leaves no doubt as to its identity, Iran. Iran for the past 20 years has been enriching large volumes of impoverished uh, uranium um, stocks for one purpose and one purpose uh, only, to develop a nuclear arsenal with which they've swore under all the gods of mythology they would use to quote unquote eradicate the state of Israel. Hmm. Already, they have ballistic weapons that have a radius that can reach uh, the French uh, Provence, the region of Provence, Rome, uh, Greece, and the part of the Balkans. They only need to add nuclear uh, warheads if they want to make a major uh, strike. So this serves the purpose of both Israel in a way, although they suffered an unspeakable price. Uh, and also um, uh, Hamas, for their purpose principally, is to inspire all the communities, Shiites, Sunnites, Wallabites, all Muslim communities against a common enemy, Israel. So, as you said very rightfully, it appears to me before, there are no right, good or bad guys. It's a war that takes, that is thousands of years old, and which has been forewarned as well. This is, shouldn't be surprised for Mariel circles. Indeed. So we have uh, the possibility of world war uh, looming in front of us because, of course, Israel is going to be backed by the United States. Already the U.S. sent over an aircraft carrier and uh, Turkish President Erdogan uh, just got on uh, television, basically warning uh, that America is is sending that and that's no means of keeping peace. You don't send aircraft carriers uh, for keeping peace. Um, but also Iran is into this already. Um, they must have got some indication that Israel might retaliate against them. And uh, this is the message from, uh, from Iran. Uh, let's play that. The information is just flowing in as I speak to you. The Iran Foreign Ministry has said any foolish Israeli action against Iran will be met with a devastating response. We're already facing a war between Gaza and Israel, and now we're getting threats like that. Your response? Well, the Americans or American officials have been threatening Iran as well. And I think that the Americans know quite well that they've already bitten off more than they can chew in Ukraine in East Asia with China, the United States and its allies are on the decline. They, they're not the powers that they were 30, 40 years ago. The Israeli regime is in no position to threaten Iran because the Israeli regime cannot even destroy the Palestinian people. But the United States, if it does something foolish, then it will be expelled from the region. The United States is very vulnerable and the price of fuel will go through the roof and it will destroy the Western economies.
so you you have all of this playing out um and you can see the factions please please continue from there xavier well it's very realistic a uh, description of the situation um there is an american uh, officer a hero of the gulf war called uh, colonel uh, mcgregor he appears often in a splendid podcast um, hosted by a retired American judge, uh, Judge Napolitano. The name of the podcast, I believe, is Judging Freedom. Quite remarkable. And this colonel said recently that the American forces, conventional forces, that is, uh, are only a shadow of what they were when he, as a as an officer in the U.S. Army, were during the Gulf War, the Gulf Wars, plural. So it appears there is a degeneration, not just of the American conventional forces, but NATO's. And this war in um, between, that is rather, that is taking place in Ukraine today, has not done anything to, uh, as, to help the situation. Um, both the Americans and the Europeans, in other words, all of the NATO members, including Canada, uh, have uh, sent to Ukraine um, thousands, hundreds of thousands of tons of ammunition of all sorts to be able to stop the uh, Russian uh, advances in Ukraine. There is was also in the French show that was about a week ago or so, a little longer than that, a French general who explained that if today, hypothetically speaking, if there were to be on European territories um, conventional so, uh, war of the sorts that we are witnessing in Ukraine, uh, France, which is uh, predominantly the most powerful European nation, militarily speaking, in Europe, would last 11 days before they run out of ammunition. Germany mm -hmm. 9, England 8. To come back to the situation with the Middle East, I do not see how, how well can the Americans indeed be in a position to deliver the kind of equipment that they've sent to Ukraine, to Israel, although they've already delivered a massive amount of ammunition uh, to the great uh, sorrow of the Ukrainians who were expecting that shipment. So the situation is very dear. If Iran is struck, um, there is a very good chance, first of all, it will be unanimous within the Muslim community. I grew up in a country which is, I would not say invaded, it wouldn't be politically correct with it, but which has a tremendous population of Muslims, of so-called French Muslims. And so if such a uh, situation were to take place and the Israelis have been itching to eradicate all the nuclear plants that are hidden underground in Iran, the same way they did in Syria in, the, in 1980, um, that would be a perfect pretext. And this would unquestionably, unquestionably rally every single Muslim nation and um, on organizations together to uh, counterattack one way or the other. And like World War I, where the game of political and geopolitical alliances played a crucial role in starting World War I, the same thing will happen yet again in these eras. It's not unrealistic. I'll conclude simply by bringing to your attention Marie-Julie Jeanne and Father, Reverend Father Michel Rodrigue, who both of them have brought forth this possibility. And this is quite extraordinary. Do we have time? I wouldn't only need two minutes. With Marie-Julie Jeanne, she clearly stated in a time at the end of the 19th century when such predictions were completely unrealistic, that the day will come when first and foremost, there would be ge geopolitical tensions between England Palestine and Persia. Those names were used at the time for indeed there was no such country yet in 1870 of Israel. It was considered it Palestine. 
and Iran did not exist. It was known as Persia. The English uh, in England was mentioned as being, um, there would be tension between England, East Palestine and Iran and Persia rather. At the time when England was mentioned, what was meant in the French language were the Anglo-Saxons. That means also the Canadians, the Americans and so on and so forth. So what's more, what gives this tremendous credibility and what is ever so concerning is that Marie Jlijani, who not only was supported openly by His Holiness Pope Leo XIII and later by His Holiness Pope Pius XII, also mentioned such extraordinary events such as the rise of uh, the Islamic uh, consortium um, alliance of sort that would unite with Eastern, far Eastern European, the Russians. No? And um, to give yet more credibility, this would take place when Europe and particularly France would be uh, overtaken by a massive immigration from the Middle East and Muslim nations in Africa, when civil unrest in France would start to take place, uh, when there would be uh, major ecclesiastical reforms within the Roman Catholic and Apostolic Church that would turn mm. later the Catholic Church to become, quote-unquote, unrecognizable. Wow. In accord with uh, Father Michel, and I'll conclude with this simply, Father Michel, in the middle of uh, this war uh, that is taking place in Ukraine, when all the logic would lead to believe that if there is a third world war, it would come from there, remain firm in asserting that the third world war would start principally from Iran and from North Korea. Although the conflict in Eastern Europe will be a catalyst to something considerably big, bigger and unstoppable. No. Likewise, mm -hmm. Father Michel Rodrigue, since the beginning of this year, has announced publicly, and the last time he did was in a video conference call, which I believe you were invited in, where he mentioned in September that October will be the first chapter of the announced tribulations. And here we are. That is truly unbelievable that that call was a was a private call which to which i was invited stunning to see things play out as they have um one more clip i wanted to show it's just one of the things that hasn't been mentioned yet is the involvement of china uh jennifer zeng who is a independent journalist chinese journalist i i actually saw her through um stephen mosher who writes for lifesite who is a great expert on china um, he pointed to Jennifer Zeng's work once and I checked her out. And here's what she has to say with regard to China's involvement in all of this. According to the Chinese language YouTube channel Lude Media, Xi Jinping promised unlimited, unrestricted and full-range support to Hamas when the Palestine delegation visited China on June 14th this year. As a matter of fact, Xi Jinping's office is in direct contact with both Hamas and the Iran's top authority, Communist Office. It's really unbelievable to see the machinations that could very easily now lead to a, a third world war. Um, and already, just the devastation we, we talked about, you know, over 1,200 uh, Israelis killed by Hamas, over 5,000 rockets fired, uh, 2,800 injured Israelis, uh, and then the return fire, of course, uh, going to be costing a similar number of lives. It likely will get to uh, much more because obviously the Israeli forces are, are um, 
much more um, they're much more equipped. Although where Hamas got what it got so far is incredible, but nonetheless, uh, the retaliation is going to be something. But with Prime Minister Netanyahu promising to make that retaliation something never seen before, something historic, that's where it becomes really concerning. One of the concerning things also is this turning off of the gas, electricity, and water to the Gaza. It's not all Hamas soldiers in the Gaza. There's there's um, Palestinians, Christian, and Jewish, uh, and others uh, there. What have you heard about this turning off of the water, turning off of electricity and gas? Uh, um, an ex-ambassador of Israel um, was interviewed on this particular subject uh, one day, yesterday or the day before, uh, by uh, a French uh, news media. And he, the same question was being posed to him. He responded, well, uh, in this situation, of course, we understand that there are many uh, innocent civilians that are paying the consequences of this irresponsibility. Uh, however, uh, I, I like to bring to your attention the fact that immediately upon this attack, the state of Israel has declared itself in a state of formal war with Hamas, which is unfortunately presently located and using the territory of the Gaza Strip as its military base. As such, we must respond accordingly for one purpose and one purpose early, uh, only, and that is to safeguard the life of our Israeli citizens. At what, no matter what cost, it will come. Our responsibility is towards the Israeli um, civilian population. That was his response. And uh, we as Christians, I agree with you. Carry on. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's unbelievable because there are about 600,000 people who live in the Gaza Strip. And that's why turning off water, uh, electricity and gas is just, it's unbelievable. It's, um, yeah. So, okay. So one of the things I wanted to get out as well is just the response of the Catholic leadership in the Holy Land. Um, as many people would know that they, there is a Latin patriarch, there's a Maronite one, there's all different uh, Catholic leadership um, in the Holy Land, and they're called the patriarchs. And uh, their message has been very clear. They've been calling for peace, for prayer. But they just released something new today, which I wanted to get out because they're calling for um, a day of prayer and fasting. We ask, this is from on behalf of the ordinaries of the Holy Land, uh, I invite all parishes and religious communities to offer a day of fasting and prayer for peace and reconciliation, they say. We ask that on Tuesday, October 17, everyone hold a day of fasting, abstinence, and prayer. Let us organize prayer times with Eucharistic adoration and with the recitation of the rosary to our blessed virgin mary although most probably in most in many parts of our diocese's circumstances will not permit large gatherings it is possible to organize simple and sober common moments of prayer in parishes religious communities and families and so that is their message the patriarchs of today um and they are being attacked because they are calling for balance they're trying to play the very difficult game on both sides of this war, and I guess in all times of war, you people want to fight and hit the other side and, and wipe them out, but they have always called for peace. This is from a 2010, the Vatican did a study 
on the whole situation uh, around Israel and the Holy Land and the Palestine in Palestine. And here's what they said: the Holy Land, a place of uh, a place sacred to countless millions around the world, is currently mired in violence. And this is from 2010 and suffering due to the prolonged political conflict. Oh, I'm sorry. This is actually from the statement of the Ordinaries of the Holy Land this this week. So this is what they're saying. Um, I can get to the other uh, later. But we, the patriarchs, heads of churches in Jerusalem, have time and time again appealed for the importance of respecting historic and legal status quo of the holy shrines. In these trying times, we come together to raise our voices in unity, echoing the divine message of peace and love for all humanity. As custodians of the Christian faith, deeply rooted in the Holy Land, we stand in solidarity with the people of this region who are enduring the devastating consequences of continued strife. Our faith, which is founded on the teachings of Jesus Christ, compels us to advocate for the cessation of all violent military activities that bring harm to both Palestine, uh, Palestinian and Israeli civilians. We unequivocally condemn any acts that target civilians, regardless of their nationality, ethnicity, or faith. Such actions go against the fundamental principles of humanity and the teachings of Christ, who implored us to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, so the, those Catholic officials are being condemned because they are calling for peace, restraint, and everything else. Very, very difficult situations, but nonetheless, they go forward. Um, Xavier, now I want to get to the part that I think a lot of people are waiting for. At times like this, when the whole world seems in uproar, I think a lot of people look to heaven for help, but also for clarity. What's happening? What do the prophecies tell us about these times? And what, in your vast reading of the prophetic writings and apparitions of Our Lady, what is a, a course for us to steer in this time of tribulation? As far as prophecies are concerned, which we've been working and we've been studying all of us and we've been hearing and reading for so many years, we are no longer leaving the times of admonitions. That time is behind us. Now we will be actually literally leaving the moments of prophecies. And I regret to say that is what is ahead of us is most disconcerting. What are we to do? What are we to prepare? How are we supposed to live our lives accordingly? The message from heaven through Marie-Julie Jani, through the children of La Salette, Fatima, Reverend Father Michel Rodrigue and others is this. Maintain always a cold head. Do not let uh, anger, even hatred, uh, advise you for those that are indeed bad advisors and emotions that are not inspired by heaven. Um, this um, rage, this feeling of revenge that the Israelis have um, uh, ever so capably expressed on the media uh, will not serve the purpose of peace, but it, it will engender uh, death that will uh, inspire more death. This will be a catalyst, um, a catalyst of what is to come. The future, the way it is announced, will be that because of this game of alliances, um, we lead other nations to be involved. Uh, no unbalance will be permitted. If uh, Iran is eliminated, this will no longer be tolerable for Russia. And today, principally because of the uh, war that is taking place in the Ukraine theater, this is no longer, and it hasn't been for a while, a war or a dispute, territorial dispute, 
between Ukraine and simple, simply Russia. It hasn't been. This is a proxy war that has led two alliances, one uh, through a frontal clash with another, NATO, and an alliance that has been established clearly through Iran, Russia, as of late, North Korea, and yes, China, as the statement of this spokeswoman uh, confirms. If there is a violent clash, a violent attack upon Iran, this cannot be left unanswered. And it is a trap which was meant from the moment, from the eve of the attack on Israel by Hamas. It was a trap meant to lead Israel to an attack ever so violently. I do not believe for one moment that Hamas find uh, or was consumed by the devil to decapitate babies or to rape women. These barbaric actions were meant for one thing, to inspire hatred and to inspire and lead uh, uh, Israel to walk through straight to a trap, that of committing the error of committing similar atrocities and lead all the nations of Islam to gather together and again, playing with the game of alliance. Iran is already openly supporting through military assistance, Russia. Uh, North Korea is doing exactly the same thing with Russia, China as well. The operation of BRICS is no coincidence. This organization now is trying to overbalance the United States petrodollar uh, on the base of a new currency or new currencies, plural, that would be based on the value of gold, no longer on service goods and services like the US dollar, petrodollar or dollar. So the war has already started in a, shall we say, a more civil fashion. Now this war in an elegant fashion, in a silk sock, as Napoleon Bonaparte used to call Talleyrand, has changed the um, uh, face. It's turned into a gradual more um, violent, anim uh, uh, great animosity that is inspired by hatred, profound hatred, and a feeling, a desire of utter revenge against the atrocities the Hamas has committed. The Hamas, the Muslims there, do not care. I certainly do not care of the Palestinian population, nor of their own lives. The only thing they want to do is hurt Israel, uh, lose their lives, gain paradise, and lead and form an alliance between all the Muslim countries against Israel and their allies, the infidels. And that is what I pray with all my heart, that Israel will not fall into that trap and will remain civil in a way which Hamas will never be capable of being. If they do, perhaps catastrophe can be avoided. Otherwise, no. And as for prophecies, the prophecies state that uh, these regional conflicts will extend between now and the end of this year. And next year, things will turn for the worst. And what the heaven is requiring and asking the faithful to do is first and foremost to keep a cold head, to pray with all your heart to go to confession, if possible at the end of every month, on first, well, no, bigger pardon, the first Saturdays of every month, to go to receive Holy Communion, by believing with all your heart that this is not a symbol or a commemoration of the Last Supper, but truly the body and blood, soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, to read and live Holy Scriptures, the Catechism, particularly that which was encouraged by His Holiness John Paul II, and to pray the Holy Rosary and fast. Those are the means of salvation and the means to change history. So that is uh, what prophecy is today indicating. Uh, if this continues in this path, there will be a major international cataclysm. 
So we must pray for these are the only weapons that heaven is asking us to use and to avoid hatred or feelings of retaliation for those are not inspired by God, um, but by no, his enemy. In fact, it's interesting too that the attack took place on October 7th, Our Lady of the Rosary, the victory of Lepanto. That's probably why they uh, chose that date. In fact, I think they chose the date, same date, October 6th or so, 7th, 50 years ago as well, uh, the, the, when um, they were, the Israel was attacked. Also, uh, re these retaliatory attacks from Islam happen usually on these dates. Everybody wonders why September 11th was September 11th, but it was September 11th also because of um, the um, battle where Jean Sobieski uh, beat them at the Battle of Vienna, uh, beat the Turks. So Islam chooses these dates because they have a great historical memory. Um, but I think in choosing a date like Our Lady of the Rosary, it's also going to be the date that is the undoing of all violence rather than the, uh, you know, the gen generation of violence because it's the weapon, as uh, Padre Pio told us. And uh, we must always, always pledge to Sarah Rosaries. In the end, Our Lady told us her Immaculate Heart would triumph. So we're headed toward victory. That day called Our Lady of the Rosary, Our Lady of Victories, uh, we are headed toward victory and uh, we will get there by remaining faithful till we sacrifice the mass and to the prayer of the most holy rosary savior Errol, thank you so much for joining us may god bless you and uh, please pray for um please pray uh, all of you for uh israel for uh the palestinian people and especially on october 17th Let's unite ourselves with the patriarchs of Jerusalem and their call for fasting, prayer, and abstinence uh, for peace, uh, both in Israel and around the world. Thank you for joining us. For Life's News, this is John Henry Weston. And may God bless you.